are an awesome God. You don't know how hard it is to get up here and preach sometime after you've almost cried twice in the service. Oh, man. Oh, man. This morning, twice. Bobby Joe and Gospel Ensemble. Oh, so if you're crying with me, you might remember back. Go ahead and try and remember a time you first found an MCC church. And when you walked through those doors, what it was like. You know, we have a history in MCC churches of people being sure and certain of who they were in the world. And then they were trying to risk for a moment and try something different to see what God would have to tell them. And sometimes it was scary to go into that building for the first time. We know stories of people who come to the parking lot several weeks in a row and go home without ever coming in. Just a month ago, there was a new person out in the narthex, and she was frozen, I mean frozen in place, and I saw her standing there, and I said, hello, and she said, my therapist told me to come here. <laughs> and she had gotten into the narthex, but it was scary for her to try and make it all the way into the sanctuary. Sometimes we are just certain what people have said about us is true. We're certain about what they say God has said of us is true. And it doesn't feel safe. In parts of our country, when MCC was just started and growing, you went by cover of night. You did not want people to see you. You might meet in a UU congregation at the back hall over on the side with a little bitty sign that no one could see that said MCC on it. Because it was a scary time in some of those little towns and places. You did not want to be seen going to that church. So you might have gone literally at night, like we have Nicodemus today talking about meeting Jesus at night. You know, he's a leader of his faith community. They call him a rabbi. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's one of those leaders and people of faith. But it's not safe for him to go meet Jesus by day. You know, he has his knowledge. He knows who he is, but he's willing to risk this encounter with this rabbi. To see what might be going on. But he goes at night. Try and identify with Nicodemus some. You know, what it was like for you to first come in those doors. What it meant to have Jesus be in your life a whole new and different way. Have you had some of those conversations at night yourself with friends and trusted persons in your life? You know, sometimes that real struggling comes in the darkness. That real struggling comes wrestling with those angels right when it's midnight. You know, right there in the darkness. You know, there's a lot we can learn from night. There's a lot we can learn from those times. I know some of the biggest jumps in my spiritual faith came from the abandonment in that moment when it was so dark. And trusting God to be there right with me in that place. To hold me in ways I didn't know I could trust being held. So we praise the light a lot. I can say to you, you are light. And you say what? Amen. Say pray again. You are light. Amen. You know, we have this thing called enlightenment. We celebrate the light. We celebrate knowing. We celebrate how we've come to manage our nature and our world. The enlightenment. Sam Keen, author, says we can get just as much insight from the dark from the middle of those nights. He actually calls it endarkenment. You know, ready for some endarkenment? Because that, that is what Nicodemus is ready for. He's coming to meet Jesus at night. And he knows, he has 
what is light to him, the law, Nicodemus does know these things. But he's ready to go to Christ for an encounter that might lead to some investment. What it might mean to be vulnerable. What it might mean to question the answers that Bobby Joe sang about. To question the answers that we know what is true. We know what is said about us. We know all of these things. So when I say you are light, let's say it again. You are light. All right. You are dark. Be just as proud of the wrestling. Just as proud of the struggle that we go through that brings us to the next place. Question the answers. Oh, but Jesus, we want you to give us answers. Question the answers. Nicodemus shows up later in the story, too. He becomes an ally a couple of times helping the disciples out, not getting too close, but still being an ally, helping out around the edges. I'm sure you know some allies like that. They will help you as long as it's safe for them without any personal risk involved. But we need those Nicodemuses. We need those folks that are out there watching out for us. Even if they can't take the risk they need to take at that point in time. Because they know it would be too much of a cost for them to do so. So I think this passage today in our scripture is trying to help us not be frozen by what we know. Or our need to be certain about certain things. Okay, Have you ever needed to be certain before? Needed to be right? Need to know the answer to get tired of waiting for stuff? You know, we need to know it right now. Have you ever ended a relationship before because you thought it might not work out, but you had to know? You've told me you have. Some of you. You know, that need for certainty. That need to know right now it is too much to wait and see. I wonder if that's what's under the lesbian U-Haul myth. We can't wait and see. We have to know right now. It has to be good in this moment. It has to happen and we have to make it sure and certain in this particular moment of time. Think about it for a minute. So, Jesus, Jesus doesn't give Nicodemus the answers he wants. Nicodemus wants a yes or no. Jesus is called rabbi, but he doesn't tell Nicodemus, oh, you're right. Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. He leaves it all up in the air. And he muddles things up even more as Jesus is prone to do. He's not going to give Nicodemus any straight answers. Straight answers. <laughs> you know? But Nicodemus does become a strange bedfellow for the movement. So here we are in this place in this time, invited to encounter Jesus. And a part of encountering Jesus for Nicodemus is to let go of the need to know to let go of what he already knows as Jesus challenges him on that. And we've been studying a wonderful researcher, Brene Brown, and her work on shame and vulnerability. And she talks about in her life what it meant to know. And a researcher, you look for facts and figures and you talk to all these people until you can get the answer or you get to another question that needs to be answered. And so this is her life, this is what she trusts. And as she's doing this research and this work, she gets to the point where she's gone down through the shame question into another question, and finally she gets the answer that she doesn't want to see, and the answer is, you have to be vulnerable. And she didn't like that at all. Listen to her response to this new information. We talked about the willingness 
to say I love you first. The willingness to do something where there are no guarantees. The willingness to breathe through waiting for the doctor to call after your mammogram. The willing to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. They thought this was fundamental. I personally thought it was betrayal. Um, I could not believe I had pledged allegiance to research. Where our job, you know, the definition of research is to control, control and predict, to study phenomenon for the, reason, for the ex explicit reason to control and predict. And now my very, you know, my mission to control and predict had turned up the answer that the way to live is with vulnerability and to stop controlling and predicting. This led to a little breakdown. <laughs> which actually looked more like this. Um, and it did. It led to a, I call it a breakdown, my therapist calls it a spiritual awakening. <laughs> spiritual awakening sounds better than breakdown, but I assure you it was a breakdown. And I had to put my data away and go find a therapist. Let me tell you something. You know who you are when you call your friends and say, I think I need to see somebody who, do you have any recommendations? Because about five of my friends are like, woo, I wouldn't want to be your therapist. Um, <laughs> like, what does that mean? And they're like, I'm just saying, you know, like, don't bring your measuring stick. Uh. <laughs> betrayal. It was betrayal. All of the knowledge, all of the facts and statistics came back to you have to release into vulnerability. Betrayal, she said. But you hear her, she's going to try therapy with what? Her measuring stick. You know, there are lots of ways to know in the world. You know, we talk about the scientific method, and it's a good way to know in the world. Y'all remember that from high school, if you had to do it? You know, I tried to quickly forget it. But scientific method, there are ways of knowing in the world, and those are good ways of knowing. But what Brene learned in her research, and what we learned in this encounter of Nicodemus with Jesus, is that's not the knowing that Jesus is talking about. Not talking about facts and figures, Jesus is talking about what it means to be connected to God and what it means to open yourself up to not having a slogan or a solution, but to actually the possibility that you don't know what's next and that you're vulnerable to that connection. You're vulnerable to what might happen with God in that moment. Have any of you ever tried to approach God and tack God down at the same time? I'm praying to you, Jesus. I'm praying to you for this red convertible, this model, this year, and that's all I'm asking for, nothing else. <laughs> you ever tried to tack God down and what the Spirit might do for you? You know? Ever had people try to tack God down for you? No, I'm praying for you. Right? I'm praying for you too. You know, they might not have your best interest at heart when they tell you they're praying for you. You know, trying to tack God down and tell God what to do to you. Because they're certain. They know what's supposed to be done in your life. You know, I'll tell you what. God receives all those prayers and does something that we don't expect. When people tell me that, I say, thank you. Thank you for praying for Walter and I. We're really, really doing good. It must be your prayers. <laughs> you know, keep on praying. Can you pray a little bit harder for us? 
because I know God's receiving your prayers and turning them into the wonderful, most blessed, blessed life that Walter and I can have. Pray harder for me, please. Think about it. They're trying to contain the spirit and God's receiving that energy in those prayers and turning it into something that is different from their expectations. Something that they might not have thought was possible. But we know that with God, even those impossible things become very, very, very possible. So we come in with our certainty and our limitations and we try to put God in those little boxes and Nicodemus has come in that way to Jesus. And as he comes to Jesus in that moment and asking these questions, he uses a phrase that we like in our popular culture. It's become a slogan called born again. Heard that phrase, that slogan of being born again? And I think it's a wonderful phrase for people, but I don't think it meets the story where it needs to be. You know, because the wonderful word that Jesus responds to Nicodemus with is the word called anothen. And it has many, many meanings. Don't you love it when someone uses a word that means more than one thing? You know? What does it mean? You know, what exactly are you trying to tell me, Jesus? I want yes or no. And Jesus says, well, you know, you must be born anothen. And that could mean born again, that could be born anew, afresh, that could mean born from above. And it has a sense of time about it that could mean being born again and again and again and again and again. Is that what you hear when we hear people say, are you born again? Sometimes we want a yes or no answer and we try to flatten this big, huge mystery into being able to say a formula so that we know that we've gotten another scalp for Jesus. Are you ever one of those traditions that took scalps for Jesus? Yeah, pretty, pretty horrible stuff has been done, you know, with compressing and deflating what is larger for us to understand into simple, simple formulas. You know, so how do we walk into Jesus? Nicodemus is saying one thing and Jesus is responding with an answer that gets him more confused and gets us more confused. It just says the Spirit's going to go where the Spirit goes. Can you live into it? We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going to end up. Can you trust God enough to be a part of that experience? Can you live into it deeply enough that it will change you? Can you be born anew, afresh, again, from above, again, and again, and again, and again? Because once we get started, we get certain again. And then we start to need that certainty, and we start to make it sort of concrete and build it into structures again. But the sense of the word is not once, but for your life again and again. What do you need to be free of, being sure of, so that God will work in your life? In her research, Brene Brown says that need to be right that need to be certain comes from a deeper challenge for us and that's that challenge of fear that we have that we're really not enough and since we believe we're really not enough then we do all these other things to make ourselves feel okay and trying to be certain is one of those things we try to do try to be experts try to know the right answers have you ever had someone ask you a question you didn't know and you just felt awful about it you know because we're taught you should have the answers in our society. Well, Jesus is saying to that, Spirit's going to come. 
Spirit's going to go. Are you going to be interested in what God may do in your life that you don't even know yet? Nicodemus is talking a language about how can I be born again from my mother's womb? That is impossible. And Jesus is speaking to him a language he cannot get because it's a language of how the impossible is very possible each and every day. So how do we move from that place of needing that surety? There's an old series I like called Northern Exposure. You remember some of you may remember this? Well, there's this innocent character named Ed Chigliak in Northern Exposure, and he gets hit by lightning, and he tries to make sense of what it means to be hit by lightning. He asks all the people in town, what does it mean I got hit by lightning? He needs an answer. He needs to know for sure what this means in his life. And some people say, well, it means God's punishing you. You're awful. You're horrible. You did something bad. Talks to someone else. It says, it means God's saving you. You're alive. You're doing fine. You're blessed. You know? And he keeps searching and searching and searching until he gets to Northern Exposure's wisdom teller, Marilyn Whirlwind. And this is what Marilyn tells him. My uncle once told me about a warrior who had a fine stallion. Everybody said how lucky he was to have such a horse. Maybe, he said. One day the stallion ran off. The people said the warrior was unlucky. Maybe, he said. Next day the stallion returned leading a string of fine ponies. The people said it was very lucky. Maybe, the warrior said. Later, the warrior's son was thrown from one of the ponies and broke his leg. The people said it was unlucky. Maybe, the warrior said. The next week, the chief led a war party against another tribe. Many young men were killed, but because of his broken leg, the warrior's son was left behind and so was spared. Jesus, we need better than that. <laughs> Maybe the spirit comes and goes. Will you be open to walking it with me? without being certain, without having to use that measuring stick against every occurrence to say it's good or it's bad? Will you be a part of the mystery that Jesus invites you into? You know, we want yes and we want no. We want an answer. We want to be certain and sure, God. Well, Nicodemus encounters Jesus who says, that's not knowing. There's a different way of knowing join in the experience of what life is calling you to. Be free of everything you know because it's stopping you from living. The objectivity that you think you have that causes you to separate yourself from others, and once you do that, then the others become objects, and then the objects have no ability to transform you because you've separated yourself so far from them. Jesus invites us from objectivity into subjectivity. Doesn't say knowledge is bad, but says there's a different kind of knowledge that I have for you. It's the knowledge of God's heart for you and God's love for you. It's ironic that in this passage that is meant to confuse us and to open up the world to us that we use it into a compressed little slogan that doesn't mean what Jesus was talking about. It's also ironic that this passage ends with John 3.16 and 3.17. 
Also, another section of our scripture that gets deflated to mean one thing when it's actually much larger. And so in John 3.16, it's that formula, for God so loved the world. You remember this, right? And so I'm going to give you a new formula for what that means to me in my life. And I want to be flexible with it because I might find something new to add into it because the Spirit's still working. So if you'll put that up on the screen. So first, in John 3.16, God loves. Remember that part? Then the second part in John 3.16, God gives of God's self, the one we call Jesus. God loves and then God gives of God's self. God's generous. In love, God is generous. And then God moves from that generosity into a place of being sure that there's no condemnation. Read 3.16 and 3.17. Without condemnation. And the response for that is belief. In this particular word, pistis, which means trust. So God gives because God loves without any condemnation. And because of giving with no condemnation out of love, you are able to trust. And in that trust, we find salvation. Now often what we do with this is we, is we deflate it into personal salvation or individual salvation. But the verse says this is for the world. So personal salvation is a minimum part of what this verse is about. God loves so much that God gave God's self generously so that we might trust because without condemnation we could trust. And in that place of time we find ourselves and the world saved. Thanks be to God. Let go of the certainty. Amen. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.